The ladder is not strong enough. The ladder is going to collapse. This is where you see people with burnout. You see people questioning who they are, not understanding their identity anymore, just being angry, resentful, and they don't really know why. We would have to get off the ladder, process your bag, process all of this unresolved, all of this incomplete stuff. And you are changed in a way that's more whole because what was once pushed into your bag is now integrated into your heart. Lucy Ritchie is a registered psychotherapist, life coach, and the founder of Heal Psychotherapy. Her practice focuses on helping individuals heal from the impacts of trauma by exploring conditioned patterns that might get in the way of leading an authentic, meaningful life. Lucy aims to help people process small and big T traumas toward eventual post-traumatic growth. Let's dive into the conversation. episode with Lucy, we talk about blankets and backpacks. Now, what do blankets and backpacks have to do with leadership? Well, you're going to find out. We also talk about the importance of compassion and the ability to notice. Lucy and I will talk and introduce the concept of trauma, big T and little t, and how that impacts us as leaders. This is a really helpful conversation to know why trauma-informed leadership is so important and some steps that you can take to help you find your full authenticity and show up the way you want to as a leader. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Evolve, a new era of leadership, a podcast for real leaders to join real conversations with business experts, practitioners, thought leaders, and change makers who integrate head, heart, and body in all they do, who commit to compassion and curiosity, who commit to radical self-leadership in their quest to understand others better too. Because the only way to deliver real results is to understand what it takes to lead real human beings. This is a new era of leadership. Carolyn Suara, and this is Evolve, a new era of leadership. Well, I'm really excited, listeners, to bring this next guest on. Her name is Lucy Ritchie, and we met in December when Lucy reached out to inquire about some training that I do. And next thing you know, I'm asking her all about what she does. And here we are now welcoming her on to the Evolve podcast. Lucy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That conversation that we had a few months ago, it was kind of funny because I know you'd reached out to inquire about my services, but I mean, I think it was within two sentences. I was like, what is it that you do? Tell me more. So yeah, it was pretty fun. Yeah, totally serendipitous. 
right? Yeah. You know, we were talking about leadership and there seemed to be so much depth and passion right at the beginning of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And it sort of led to us connecting and you saying, we have to do a podcast together. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So I know you've studied at the master's level in counseling psychology and you have a special focus in trauma. Mm-hmm. And what I thought we could do today is explore that as it pertains to leadership. And in particular, I know you have this ruler method that I thought was just so practical and useful and helpful. But before we get to that ruler method, can we talk a little bit about why we need to talk about this word trauma and how it impacts leadership from your perspective? Mm -hmm. Yes. So humans are designed to go through trauma. And so it's not really a negotiable thing when you think about it. We are built for this. And when people think of trauma, they usually think that it's, you know, a big car accident or somebody was beaten to the bones. And that's just not always the case. And of course, yes, that is highly traumatic. But trauma actually goes even to having, um, example, emotional deprivation in childhood or having a parent that wasn't attuned to you. This is where our needs actually don't get met. And therefore, we don't get to really develop our authentic self. We don't get to have the option to thrive as who we are when our needs are not met. This is trauma. And this touches everyone. And I only know that because there's no such thing as a perfect parent. So this is not something to shame parents, to tell them they didn't do a good enough job because they are human too. We are not perfect beings, right? So we will go through adversity. And the thing is that trauma with kids, the difference with kids, sorry, than the example of a car crash is that they are experiencing, I'm going to use the lack of attunement here. They're experiencing lack of attunement over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So they're having this sort of built into their understanding of who they are. Like people don't meet my needs. I can't rely on someone else to understand who I am or to reflect who I am or to honor who I am. So it sort of shapes their personality from a really young age and it shapes their fears. And this is very traumatic. And so when we bring that into leadership, if this isn't healed and, you know, this person never got praise, for example, they may want to do work that gives praise. They're hungry for it. And so often that's reach for the next level. Keep putting your resume towards the next position, climb, climb, climb. And that climb actually acts as a significant distraction where they can further avoid their pains, right? Trauma is all about avoidance. We don't want to look at the pain. It hurts. I don't want to see it. I don't want to feel it. I just want the praise. Right. We go up, up, up. And once we get to the top, there's no more climb. There's no more distraction. And then it's like, what is wrong with me? Right. Common question. And first of all, there is nothing wrong with anyone who's experienced trauma what they're feeling is a natural reaction to unnatural events, right? Mm, right. So a parent is supposed to connect with their child, is supposed to be attuned. This day and age is so busy, right? There's so many demands on parents. So it is very difficult to expect, you know, parents to, first of all, understand the importance of connecting with their kids at that level. They're pulled in so many directions. And Obviously we have that intuition of how to parent, but unfortunately it gets missed sometimes. 
Mm, there's so many things in there. I know when you were talking about the different types of trauma, I know Gabor Mate, uh, renowned in this work, calls that big T and little T trauma. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself, I didn't even understand some of the big T trauma that I had been living through. And I think this notion of small T trauma is really helping us understand that really to be human is to have some level of trauma. Mm-hmm. And I also know that word is a little scary. It can sort of bring a sense of fear and why do we need to talk about it? Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear, like in the work that I'm doing and what we're talking about on this podcast, we are inviting people to consider the impact that trauma has on how they're able to lead. And what I'm hearing you say is that there's going to be some level of rising to the top and trying to be the best that we can be that we're all going to experience. And so we are going to hit this block where our ego gets in the way and stops us, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the workplace is run by humans. It's not run by machines. So what a human is made of is what a human is going to project in the workplace. Mm. And like I mentioned before, like in our emails and stuff, but what we reject, we project. Mm. What we so reject, what? Mm-hmm. So what we reject, we project. What would be an example of that that you could share with us that, you know, could apply to the average person going to work today who's trying to do the best that they can? What might that look like? Yeah. So it goes back to that avoidance piece. So let's say in childhood, needs weren't met, right? And it could be a well-intended parent. It could be by accident or it could be deliberate that the needs weren't met. But over time, when the need one or many needs are not consistently met, this develops a schema in the brain that sort of suggests a very common one is I'm not good enough. Mm. I don't deserve this. And so what people will do is they'll either believe that and sort of cripple to that idea, or they might overcompensate, for example, to try to disprove what they believe about themselves unconsciously. We sort of try to hide, and this kind of goes with, like we were talking before about a blanket, the ego and the blanket. Right. It's kind of like leading with the ego, which only looks at what's good about you. It only looks at, well, this is what you can do. This is what you're good at. Let's run with this. And never mind all this, I'm not good enough stuff. It puts a blanket over it. In other words, it's suppressing it. It's rejecting the imperfections, excuse me, of the self. But as we move through life, we're not really able to capitalize on our unconscious. Like our unconscious is a huge part of who we are. This stuff bleeds out in other ways. And this is what, mm. um, you know, we refer to as our blind spots. So it bleeds out in other ways. So when we look at leaders, for example, who have not done their healing, it could bleed out onto their team. They're in it for themselves. Not that they know that consciously. They want it for the ego. They go high. And this is not everybody, by the way. There's a lot of people who've done their work and and some people who aren't touched by trauma really. And, you know, I'm just saying in this particular case. So they could be high, like ranking high at work. You know, they're in that position for themselves instead of being in that position for the organization. And therefore, they're not really looking to develop their team. In fact, they could get threatened by their team. Like if they see someone that is doing better than them, oh my gosh, my spot is threatened, right? This person's going to climb and take my spot. Yeah. So maybe then they start reacting and projecting against that person because that looks like the threat. And the threat 
quite often is a reflection of, you know, the threat that they perceived in the past. So it's all sort of like with their parents. It's fascinating to me, like it's all sort of entangled and we do see it in the workplace. It's everywhere. And I really like that analogy with the blanket and how you talked about the ego only allows us to see the good parts of ourselves. And I know I fell into that. I really focused on the good parts. And I do believe in strengths-based leadership, but the difference is, is when we don't allow these other sides of ourselves to be acknowledged, they become derailers. They become things that stop us from really leading from the place that we want to lead from, which is a fuller being authentic and being real because people can kind of sniff through the BS. Yeah. 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 Whether we do or not. Yeah. When we do suppress some of these things, what does that do to us in terms of our nervous system? Mm, Yes, it keeps us on. In other words, the nervous system is always on. It's sort of like an incomplete response. So think of it this way. If you were reaching out for love as a kid and you were met with neglect or you were met with an anxious parent, you always need this, or you're always bugging me or whatever it is, or even an abusive parent, right? It becomes threatening to need. Mm -hmm. So you don't really get the opportunity to express that need out really fully. You don't need to also expunge, if you will, the pain that the rejection caused to getting your needs met. We're just holding it in and holding it in. Our nervous system is revved always in anticipation for threat. And it's almost like that response is hovering, wanting to be complete, but we're refusing to let our emotions out to feel a sense of complete emotion. So in other words, you don't feel safe with your parent. You can't express how you're feeling. You can't cry or go nervous system to nervous system to calm your own. That's what calms a kid's nervous system, by the way, is proximity to their parent. Mm. closeness to a a calm nervous system is what calms the child's nervous system. And this is the same thing for adults. Just look at how you feel when you give a hug, right? A long hug. You can like feel your nervous system calming. So when we don't have the option to process the emotion at that time, that emotion is incomplete. It's unresolved. And so therefore it's staying inside of us, causing havoc inside on our physiology, on our emotional health, even psychological health. So this is really important to process. And one of the ways that we can process is to look at the body. Trauma lives in the body. It impacts the brain, of course, but the imprint is in the body, in the nervous system. So (laughs) I'll just say this quick anecdote. I remembered, you know, I've always lived a wellness life. Everything was about fitness, joy, laughter, as much as I possibly could, but I held my own trauma Hmm. and I didn't even know it. And that's the thing people just don't know. And I went to my first yoga class. I never liked the idea of yoga. I must've been 16 or something at the time. Anyway, I went and it was great. And by I think the 55 minute mark, you know, you lay down and the practitioner is saying this beautiful stuff and you just stretched all your muscles and you're feeling relaxed. Oh, I just started bawling my eyes out. Mm, wow. And I was by myself. I didn't have a friend. Like I went, I went alone and I sort of looked around and you know, when you cry, it's like, so yeah. I was really trying to hold it in. I didn't understand what was going on until later when I, you know, got really interested in psychology and understanding trauma. 
my emotions were being released. My incomplete emotions from the past were actually being complete in that moment of safety. Hearing this woman's voice sort of almost like a motherly voice. It was beautiful. It was definitely the wrong spot for me to cry in that moment (laughs) on my terms anyway, but it helped me understand like, wow, this really is in the body. And I always go back to that moment. And I remembered how I felt And that sort of drives a lot of my understanding with the body is that, you know, I was shaking, I was breathing heavily. I was like, whoa, something's happening to me here. Yeah. It is accurate that it works. Yeah. Well, when you say it works, like yoga works and and like releasing it from the body. Yes. Yes. Doing any kind of somatic movement. So body movement, intentioned movement too. So not necessarily, you know, thinking about work. It's really thinking about your muscles, thinking about your body, thinking about the movement you're making, like just being as present as possible, breathing through it, noticing your muscles stretching, noticing everything that's happening and the breathing through the difficult process and staying connected is sort of like in a way for me anyway, it allows me to move my body in a way that it wants to move. Mm. So getting out of my head and just getting into my body, letting it move, because it knows more than I do, really, as right. uh, silly as that sounds, but it works. Well, um, and I think it's funny that you said that as silly as it sounds, because I think so many of us have been conditioned to push through, work through it, like this real, like, keep a stiff upper lip and drive through it. And what we know from so much research in trauma is that, as you said, it's stored in our body and it's not accessible through our cognitive, quote unquote, thinking brain. It sits in a lower part of our brain, the brainstem, and we don't have control over that. And I think that's why I feel so compelled to talk about this in the leadership space because we talk about authenticity, we talk about inclusion and diversity. and there are things that are getting in our way that are not at the cognitive level, which means we as leaders, when we walk into organizations and we take on that accountability to lead, we really do owe it not only to ourselves, but to the whole organization and people that we're working with and for to understand our ego and to understand how we're showing up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I know you've got this ruler method. Can you share a little bit with us around what it is and how it works? Yeah. I sort of just thought of this when, when we were talking, like maybe a week before we were talking. And so the ruler just stuck. <laughs> so that's where we're at. I might develop it a little bit more, but basically I'm in the process of writing two books. Originally, I wanted it to be one book, but the editor said, no, 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 like this is two books. It doesn't make sense to put it in one. It would be way too long. And the idea that I was trying to get across in one book was that first you have to heal your trauma. You cannot capitalize on your authentic potential until you've dealt with your trauma. You've got to work through it, period. And to be human is to have some level of trauma. And I think after the pandemic, that is something that impacted every single person globally. Mm -hmm. And there will be, if we look at trauma simply as an emotional wound, obviously it can be, you know, we talked earlier about big T, little T, but it's fair to say that all of us will have some sort of emotional wounding Mm -hmm. that is going to need some sort of resolution. Fair? Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Physiologically. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah, if we're then trying to climb the ladder, let's say, let's use a corporate ladder, trying to climb the corporate ladder has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, let's say 10 steps. Well, here comes, you know, little Missy, let's call her. And she's climbing the ladder without healing her trauma. It's the equivalent of climbing the ladder with tons and tons of weight in your backpack. You're going to fall off the ladder because the trauma was not healed. So we can call little Missy Carolyn. (laughs) And (laughs) Carolyn had (laughs) a really big backpack that was unknown to her. So trying to climb that ladder and achieve my full potential. Mm-hmm. I thought I was starting at zero, correct? You thought you're starting at zero. So the idea is the ladder is not strong enough to hold that. So the ladder is going to collapse. This is where you see people with burnout. You see people questioning who they are, not understanding their identity anymore, just being angry, resentful, and they don't really know why. And it is like you said, you know, trauma is at the bottom part of the brain the top part of the brain is logic and they don't necessarily communicate with one another. The trauma is in the body, the brainstem, you know, that connects the nervous system. So for you, we would have to get off the ladder, process your bag, process all of this unresolved, all of this incomplete stuff. When you process this, not only do you lighten your load, you strengthen your base, you strengthen the foundation that your ladder is on. So then when it comes time to, okay, I am now ready and able to climb this ladder because A, my foundation is good. I've processed all this incomplete stuff. I've completed it. Of course, I'm going to be changed in some ways after this. This often looks like post-traumatic growth, you know, an increase in perspective, sometimes, you know, gained wisdom, if you will. And you are changed in a way that's like more whole because you've integrated what was once severed away. What was once pushed into your bag is now integrated into your heart, if you will. Mm. So basically your mind and like, yeah. yeah. So now when it's time to climb the ladder, you don't need to stop at 10. You can just keep going. You've got a really strong foundation to put an extension on this ladder and you can climb as high as you're able to go. Right. Um, That works for you. That authentically works for your whole, not for the ego and what's been blanketed off through this heavy bag. So this analogy, you know, needs a little fine tuning because it is still pretty (laughs) new, but this is part of what I'm writing about in one of my books. It's very important to understand that trauma does stay with us if we avoid it, if we don't try to heal it. Yeah. I just kind of giggled when you said little Missy, because mm-hmm. I mean, that was me. I couldn't acknowledge. I didn't know what the word meant. I thought it was a word that was reserved for very, very catastrophic things that frankly, I didn't have the right to co-opt. It just wasn't something that had been in my life, but mm-hmm. it had been. And I think now when we look at our current workplace, the talk of mental health and burnout. I mean, I received an email from someone, a few people last week, just, you know, they're just burned out and they're trying their best. They want to do their best. They've got families and they Mm -hmm. just don't know where to turn. And I think part of it, if I look at my own story was, 
acknowledging and just understanding and giving myself a bit of compassion to say, Mm -hmm. hey, that is trauma and it's okay to say that you've had trauma in your life. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make anyone around you bad at all. It's part of life. That was a big part to me, finding that foundation to build a ladder and climb upon. And that speaks volumes, right? Because look at the position that you're in. Look at all the work that you've done in the business world, but then also on yourself. It's very obvious, you know, that you've overcome a lot of things that you've gone through and you're being open about it and vulnerable about it and sharing it with everyone. So that shows a lot of strength and understanding. And I love the word compassion because compassion is what we need to do. It's actually part of the self. You know, if you're being compassionate with who you are and others, that's your most authentic self. The authentic self is a compassionate self. Doesn't Uh, change. I didn't realize that. So I think a lot of people want to have compassion and Mm -hmm. don't know how to get it. It sort of becomes this outside thing we grasp for. But what I'm hearing you say here is that it's naturally going to show up when we look inside. Kind of. Yeah. So basically the compassion part, and this is probably for another episode if if you want to do another (laughs) one, but I have another analogy there, but basically without going into all the details, I can share that our brain and nervous system are conditionable. How we learn about our worlds is through the brain and the nervous system. Everything we've gone through in our childhood, in our lives, sort of start to form ideas in our brains and nervous system about the way things are based on how we experience them. Mm-hmm. We then learn how to cope with these painful things. So we take on not only understanding what is the pain, and I'm going full circle in a second, but also, you know, how do I cope with it? A lot of this is more of a pattern instead of who you are. It's almost like your machinery, brain and nervous system acts as like a machine. And it isn't really you. So when we step away from this sort of patterned, parts of ourselves and sort of use consciousness. Consciousness is like noticing that you're having a thought, noticing that your nervous system is activated. It's the noticer without judgment. Yeah. So it's almost like you're listening to those automatic thoughts, those hypotheses, like everything going on. And you just look at it like, oh man, wow, I'm having compassion. Like I feel mm. like you must have gone through so much. And this is the consciousness talking to self to like yep. the person, you know, you must have gone through so much to be in this position to feel this pain. And I'm so sorry that this is your experience. We got this, you know, so the conscious part is the one who notices and that is the authentic self. So it doesn't get mixed up in this machinery of the brain and the nervous system. It just notices. So the machinery are like the patterns, the mental or emotional patterns that have been built. hmm And the noticer, I love that. The noticer helps us find our authenticity and and create, like when we hear people say creating a bit of space, Mm -hmm. it's that space to notice. Creating the space to notice. And I love that you mentioned space. So I'm going to cram this in so the listeners can take (laughs) notes. Rewind if you must. (laughs) But basically the space part is interesting. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, you know, brainstem and prefrontal cortex, like the logic part of the brain. The two don't really connect. What happens is when you are noticing 
like, oh my gosh, I'm activated or my partner said something or my boss said something and you kind of feel your heart rate going up or maybe your muscles get tense. That's your warning right there that you're about to go in probably a small version of fight or flight yep. where you kind of get into a panic and it's like, am I going to protest to my boss and say mm. something I regret? Or am I going to sort of walk away and, you know, try to come back to this later? But in either case, if we allow that stimulus, whatever is happening to us, like the boss, let's say the boss is giving a, a reprimand and we don't try to create space when we notice the muscles tensing and the heart rate going, if we don't try to create space, our logic brain is going to start to shut down a little bit, right? You know, this is a normal response and what your brain is trying to do is to keep you safe from perceived threat. So it needs reactivity. There's no time to weigh pros and cons with the logic brain. We need to be reactive and let's go. This is why we say things we don't mean. We're mm -hmm. protesting. We're angry. We're trying to fight for our own, in this day and age, self-concept, not necessarily our lives anymore. Like we're not living in the jungle yeah. um, like we used to, but creating space is important to make sure that the prefrontal cortex, the logic brain doesn't shut down. So when we do notice the muscles are tightening, the heart rate is going up. This is where you can set a boundary and go, you know what? I'm sorry to say this, but I think I just need a minute to collect my thoughts and I'm going to come right back. Right. Excuse yourself and literally create the space, create the space for breath, create the space for the noticer to come back online to say, okay, I'm noticing this is a trigger for you. Let's explore what that is, whether in that moment or later, like, let's not forget that this was a trigger because this is something that we need to work through. Right. But in that moment, breathe. And that is what builds our tolerance for all of this stimuli. That stimuli. That, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of reactions happening for people in the workplace. We're not creating enough space. We're reacting versus responding. So what sort of insight could you share with the listeners that can help them find the noticer in themselves? Mm-hmm. The noticer can sort of move you out of being hijacked by the experience. I had an amazing conversation with someone. And basically she said to me, if you're doing something out of fear, it's not you. Mm. You're getting hijacked. Yep. And, you know, you're going to start appeasing. You're going to start reacting or whatever it is. So if you're getting sucked in by the fear, that's not you. That's the body trying to say, let's fight this or let's run away from this, right? But if you can just notice that you're experiencing fear, even in those moments where there's a lot of people around you, they don't need to know what you're doing. Just take a deep breath, three, six breathing. You breathe in for three seconds yep. and breathe out for six seconds and do that four times. What you're doing is you're recruiting the parasympathetic branch, which is a calmer branch. The sympathetic branch is what's going to throw you in fight or flight. Yeah. When you exhale more than you take in, it's actually going to put you in the parasympathetic branch. You're going to be able to have more tolerance for what's going on. Yeah. So if you want to get to that noticer, start practicing that. No one needs to know you're breathing anyway. No one needs to know if you're changing the rhythm. Yep. And then you'll know how to respond. You'll know based on who you are authentically, how you want to respond and what your values are. And you kind of lean into the values when you're leading consciously, instead of leaning into fears and 
what you think you should be saying and mm. what would protect your self-concept and what are others going to think of me? And it's like, no, 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 no. If I lean into my values, yes, it's vulnerable, but it's also your biggest power. Yeah. Biggest power. Right. And the simplicity of breathing again, back when Carolyn was trying to go up the ladder with it, with a big, heavy backpack, I used to dismiss. In fact, I still remember specific moments when I would mock this notion of breathing, like whatever. And that was just an, an indication of how unstable I was to be on that ladder. And so I cannot stress enough to folks listening, if you haven't tried box breathing or what Lucy just shared, the three, six breathing, but that exhale out, it is doing something physiologically that allows you to notice, to create a little bit of space. And that's where you will find your authenticity. That's where you will lower your reactivity. Mm -hmm. And little bits can do a lot, like little moments and the power of noticing We'll loop the compassion back in because you didn't say judger. You yeah. didn't say evaluator. You said noticer. And yeah. so that's an important piece in this, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't judge. It can't. It doesn't have the capacity to judge. It's your consciousness. It's consciousness. And when we use consciousness to just notice, but also lean into values instead of fear, then you really start to lean into authenticity. You start mm -hmm. to build more patterns of who you truly are. The more you lean into values, consciousness, this is where you can start to shift and build new patterns that sort of say, hey, I'm safe now. The stuff I went through, that was then, this is now, right? And I'm going to yep. heal that stuff and I'm going to accept that stuff. Those are my imperfections. Those are the things that are bringing me this wisdom. Those are the things that are giving me this amazing perspective not to say that trauma is something that we should want. That's never something I would ever suggest. Trauma mm -hmm. is really challenging. But if you can work through it and start to accept like, yeah, I went through this. I'm going to stop avoiding it yep. and working through it. Yeah. And using consciousness and values. It's yeah. It could be nice ingredients for a path forward. Yeah. I love how you said that. Yeah. I mean, it really is about accepting those imperfections and not letting the blanket cover them up. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So Lucy, how could our listeners find out more about your work? Where can they learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. So I actually do a lot of psychoeducation on my Instagram page. It's at heal psychotherapy, all one word. I also have my website, healpsychotherapy.ca. My practice basically focuses on trauma. Mm. So anyone looking to heal trauma, I also do coaching on what happens after healing trauma. Now what, right? Yep. I also do some coaching on that. And where else can they find me? LinkedIn. Yeah, those are good places to start. And yeah. it seems like we have so many ways to get in touch with each other. I feel like the one or two ways seem to be like, the best direct way forward. So, yeah. and we'll make sure to put those in the show notes as well. And Lucy, I end all of my podcasts by asking the guests three questions that relate back to the three elements of being an evolved leader, which mm -hmm. is essentially helping us show up in our full authenticity. So can we go there? Are you ready? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So the first question has to do with self-awareness. So can you share a moment with us that, was full of insight, maybe a little uncomfortable, but just really deepened your self-awareness. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of it actually has to do with work. I've had supervisors and there's two instances. I've had a manager, sorry, who just lit a fire under me. Like when I was working, it was banking at the time. And I was number one in so many different banks in Ontario. And so she kept promoting me. And so she lit a fire. I was aware of my abilities and not so much of my downfalls. Mm, right? The blanket, the blanket the was blanket. at work. <laughs> and the whole time, I didn't feel like I was good enough for this, but I just kept going for it. Mm. But then I had a different situation where I had a supervisor who was heavily threatened and I didn't experience pain from that because by that time I had done a lot of healing on why I didn't feel good enough for being recruited all the time. Hmm. So anyway, I had done a lot of work. And when this happened and this woman felt threatened, I was laughing in a way inside because I was like, I'm seeing it in front of me that this woman has pain. And I wasn't even mad at her. I was so Hmm. compassionate. Wow. And that to me was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've healed a lot of my own insecurities because old me would have been like, excuse me. (laughs) Right. Right. Contested with anger. But this was one of these things where I did sort of probably for the first time realize how impactful my healing was to be able to withstand that Mm. and just look at her with genuine compassion. Compassion. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. All right. Second question. What is a practice or ritual that keeps you in a calm, regulated state? Yeah. So yoga for sure, which is just a part of it, but the second part is weightlifting. I do a lot mm-hmm. of weightlifting. You wouldn't be able to tell looking at me, but I lift a lot of weights. And that's something that I do sort of three times a week and just eating really clean. I don't eat preservatives. That yep. actually, there's a lot of studies on that, like how bad it is for anxiety. So to keep myself regulated, I do eat very clean. And of course, time with family. So a nice balance with my worlds, if you will. So playing spontaneously with my kids and- right. Yeah, dating my husband as much as I can, but (laughs) limited through having two little guys. So yeah, when they're that young. And then last but not least, what is a song or genre of music that makes you feel connected to others or part of something bigger than yourself? Mm -hmm. Two complete parallels here, but I love old country music. Mm. I grew up on that. Did you? Yeah. Who like name an artist from old country? Waylon Jennings. I was going to say Waylon Jennings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually my son's middle name. My dad insisted that instead of his name, he wanted Waylon. So we put (laughs) Ross Waylon, Waylon's his real name. But then on the flip side, I also have to go to like nineties rap, like hip hop rap. Yeah. Nice. And like, is there a certain song out of the nineties? Um, I don't know about a certain song, but definitely Biggie Smalls. I love Biggie Smalls. Yes. Yes. I love music. And that's why I asked this question, because to me, music is the great connector. It just touches us and makes us feel part of something bigger. I think when it really, truly gets into us. Well, Lucy, I'm so glad that we were able to make this work and that you found me on my website that day in December. And really appreciate you sharing your insight today about, you know, this concept of the blanket and the foundation and the ladder. And yeah, wishing you yeah. all the best with your two books that you're working on. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking the time and making space for this conversation. Mm-hmm.
You know, when Lucy started talking about little Missy going up the ladder with the big backpack on, it took everything in me not to jump in and say, that's me, that's me. I did let her know after she described it. But I hope that this conversation helped you understand about the backpack and the blanket that might be stopping your true authentic self from showing up and leading the way you want it to. A big thank you to Lucy for sharing her work, her descriptions, and it sounds like she will have two fabulous books on the way. Thank you for listening to Evolve the Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at carolyn at carolynsuara.com. And friendly reminder that my book, Evolve, The Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership, will be coming out April 25th of this year. Thanks again for listening.